We have uh, been in a series in the book of Exodus for six weeks now, which has been great. And uh, today, we are going to be predominantly in chapter 5 of Exodus. But I thought it would be helpful to quickly recap the first few chapters, since we've been telling the story over multiple weeks, and because we're actually shifting into a slightly different movement of the story here in chapter 5. Okay, so at the very beginning of the book of Exodus, we are given an overview of the whole situation the Israelites are in. They have been enslaved in Egypt, and the Pharaoh detests them for some reason. He begins to suppress their growth by killing their children. It's really horrible. And then at the beginning of chapter 2, we zoom down into the life of one of those children that Pharaoh has tried to kill, and we begin to look at the life of Moses. Moses grows up there in Egypt, but eventually leaves Egypt and all of the Israelites behind, and he becomes a shepherd in the wilderness for 40 years. Meanwhile, the Israelites are still suffering under the heavy hand of Egypt. God hears their cries and reveals himself to Moses on a mountain. And it is there that God commissions Moses to go back to Egypt, to go to Pharaoh, and to speak on his behalf, asking that the Israelites be allowed to come out of Egypt and worship him. God prefaces uh, the message, though, saying, Tell everyone who I am. The elders of the Israelites, they will know me, but Pharaoh won't. The elders will listen but Pharaoh won't. I am Yahweh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And that is God's name, Yahweh. And so for the rest of our time here together, I am mostly going to refer to God as Yahweh because we're in Exodus and it just feels really right to me. (laughs) Um, And so every time you you see the words, uh, the Lord in your Bible in the Old Testament, it's the word Yahweh behind all of those translations. Um, And I think it's especially important in context because the Egyptians, they didn't believe in just one God. They had a few gods and they all had names. But the God of the Israelites, the God of Abraham, he is going to make himself known to to them. And his name is Yahweh. And so the Israelite elders, they will know Yahweh, but Pharaoh will not. He will need to be compelled with signs or miracles. And so Exodus chapter 4, the one right before the one we're going to look at, is Moses still talking with Yahweh and being like, okay, so what if they don't believe? Then what? And so Yahweh shows him some cool magic tricks or miracles, if you want to be technical about it, uh, miracles that will display Yahweh's power and compel their belief. And so Moses is ready at this point. He starts to head back to Egypt, and he meets up with his brother Aaron, who will be helping him. And that is where we pick up our story. And so we're going to start uh, just before chapter 5, the end of Exodus chapter 4 at verse 29, which says, Moses and Aaron brought together all the elders of the Israelites, and Aaron told them everything the Lord had said to Moses. He also performed the signs before the people, and they 
believed. And when they heard that the Lord was concerned about them and had seen their misery, they bowed down and worshiped. It's a, it's a great start, isn't it? Uh, they listen to Yahweh's message and they believe. And then we shift from chapter four into chapter five. Chapter five begins the confrontation with Pharaoh. This is the new movement that we're shifting into. It's a confrontation that's gonna last the next like six or so chapters. Yahweh will speak to Pharaoh through Moses and Aaron. And the question is, how will Pharaoh respond? He just spoke to the Israelite elders and the people. They immediately believed. But how will Pharaoh respond? Uh, if you've seen The Prince of Egypt, great movie, or just know the story, you know that he is not going to respond well. And the thing is, uh, the author has been setting us up in the narrative for this exact moment for a long time, even before, even before Exodus. And so I want to quickly put a pin in Exodus 5, and then I want to jump all the way back to Genesis 12. Genesis 12, um, really quick. Uh, because starting in Genesis 12, we have three really obvious portraits of these different kings and how they respond when they are confronted by Yahweh. And so Genesis 12 means we're back with Abraham and Sarah. Uh, and in this chapter, Abraham and Sarah, they travel to, guess where? Egypt. They go to Egypt, and the pharaoh of that time sees Sarah, and he goes, I would like that, and he takes her. <laughs> and then Yahweh inflicts a plague on Pharaoh's household in response to that. And Pharaoh immediately goes, whoa, she's your wife? Take her and get out of Egypt. Good response. That's portrait one. Uh, portrait two is Genesis 20. Abraham and Sarah, again, are traveling into another land, and the king of that land sees Sarah and goes, I would like that. So he takes her. <laughs> and then Yahweh punishes his household, appears to that king in a dream, and the king immediately goes, whoa, she's your wife? Take her. Get out of here. <laughs> and then not only that, but you can live wherever you want in my land. Take these gifts. Great response. That's portrait two. Portrait three is when Joseph is a slave in Egypt in Genesis 41. Uh, the pharaoh of that time is haunted by this wild dream, and Joseph says to him, Yahweh can tell you what that means. And so then Joseph performs the miracle by not only interpreting it, but telling Pharaoh what the dream was without even being told what it was in the first place. And Pharaoh is amazed and immediately goes, whoa, your God is something else. And so he lifts Joseph out of slavery, out of the pit of the dungeon, lifts him up, puts him on the throne as his right-hand man, ruler over all of Egypt. It's an incredible response. That's portrait three. And so we've had these three stories of pharaohs, of kings, responding positively and immediately to Yahweh. And their response gets more lavish each time with what they give to Yahweh's chosen as they leave that place. But the Exodus comes along and it breaks that pattern entirely. This king from our story in Exodus 5, he will not listen. He will not respond positively to Yahweh. Yahweh says, this people, it is not yours, and Pharaoh will refuse to let them go. 
And so it's clear that the Genesis stories, they, they're meant to contrast the Exodus. Uh, the Genesis stories, they build up to that positive climax in the Joseph story. It's like the height of it all. Joseph is made king over the land. But then it's immediately followed up by this tragic twist of the Pharaoh in Exodus. And so now, let's read in Exodus 5 and hear this Pharaoh's response to being confronted by Yahweh. The story could have been over just as fast as some of those Genesis stories, but nope. <laughs> Um, and I think it would be really good uh, to follow along in your own Bible, if you have one, or a Bible app. Um, but I also have this exact text that I'm reading through printed in your notes. And so if you go to novachurch.org, click Media, Sermon Notes, you can get the sermon notes, and it'll all be right there for you too. So let's read. Exodus chapter 5, verse 1. So, after Moses and Aaron, after they talked to the Israelites who believed, they went to Pharaoh and said, this is what Yahweh, the God of Israel, says. Let my people go, so that they may hold a festival to me in the wilderness. Pharaoh said, who is Yahweh that I should obey him and let Israel go? I do not know Yahweh. I will not let Israel go. Resistance, not a good start. Then they said, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. Now, let us take a three-day journey into the wilderness to offer sacrifices to Yahweh our God, or he may strike us with plagues or with the sword. But the king of Egypt said, Moses and Aaron, why are you taking the people away from their labor? Get back to work! Then Pharaoh said, look, the people of the land are now numerous, and you, you're stopping them from working. So Pharaoh's like, whoa, these are my slaves. If they aren't working, what good are they? They're here for me. And so, then he decides to punish them. And verse 6, uh, that same day, Pharaoh gave this order to the slave drivers and the overseers in charge of the people. You are no longer to supply the people with straw for making bricks. Let them go and gather their own straw, but require them to make the same number of bricks as before. Don't reduce the quota. They are lazy. That is why they are crying out, let us go and sacrifice to our God. Make the work harder for the people so that they keep working and pay no attention to the lies. And so Pharaoh's men go, they make the work harder, and even start beating the people. So we jump down to verse 19, which says, the Israelite overseers realized they were in trouble when they were told, you are not to reduce the number of bricks required for you each day. When they left Pharaoh, they found Moses and Aaron waiting to meet them, and they said, May Yahweh look on you and judge you. You have made us obnoxious to Pharaoh and his officials and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. They're mad. Moses then returns to Yahweh and says, Why, Yahweh? Why have you brought trouble on this people? Is this why you sent me? Ever since I went to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has brought trouble on this people. And you have not rescued your people at all. Moses is like, your plan totally backfired. I thought this thing was going to work. And so we continue the story, chapter 6, verse 1. Then Yahweh said to Moses, Now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. Because of my mighty hand, he will let them go. Because of my mighty hand, he will drive them out of his country. And then Yahweh goes on in that section to recap the plan and to reiterate to Moses who he is. And then he tells Moses to tell the people this information. 
So jump down to verse 9 in chapter 6. Moses then reported all that Yahweh said to the Israelites. And then here's a big shift from the beginning of what we read today. But they did not listen to him because of their discouragement and harsh labor. Dang. So that's our passage. And what a passage. It's uh, genuinely tragic on multiple levels. Moses tells the people Yahweh's good news initially. They believe, they rejoice. Moses talks to Pharaoh. He doesn't believe, rejects the message, persecutes the people. The people are discouraged, and then they don't want to listen to Yahweh any longer. But in this drama that we're being presented here, the Bible shows us this picture of a good God who wants to save and a Pharaoh who wants to oppress. It's these two gods, these two kings that are competing for the worship and the service of the Israelite people. Um, And so I I reference a lot of scripture texts um, in here, and so there's a lot to read. If you try to flip there, you'll probably be a little bit too slow, so just listen well, and and you'll follow along just fine, I think. Um, But listen to how Pharaoh's ways are described here in Exodus chapter 1. Verses 13 and 14. It says, The Egyptians, they used violence to compel the sons of Israel to labor. They made their lives bitter with hard labor and mortar and bricks and all kinds of labor in the field, all their labors which they violently had them perform as slaves. Um, and so it's, it's slightly obscured in our English translations, but the word labor in verse 13, the, the word labor, is the same word that Yahweh uses when it's translated as worship in chapter 3, verse 12, where Yahweh says to Moses, when you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall worship God at this mountain. And so this word, it can be translated as labor or work or serve or worship. It's all getting at the same concept of serve and worship. And it's used multiple times by Pharaoh about his desire for the Israelites, what he wants to receive from them. Exodus uh, 5.18, Pharaoh says, Now go and work, for you will be given no straw, but you must deliver the full quota of bricks. And then at the end of the Exodus narrative, in Exodus 14.5, he says this, When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, Pharaoh and his servants had a change of heart toward the people, and they said, What is this we have done, that we have let Israel go from serving us? And then this phrase is also repeatedly used by Yahweh. It's the main phrase that gets repeated over and over again throughout the narrative. Let my people go so that they may serve me. It's used by Yahweh in Exodus 7, 16, 8-1, 8-20, 9-1, 9-13, 10-5. Use it over and over again. And the narrative of the Exodus is trying to show us that there are these two kings competing for the worship and service of these people. But it's not just about Pharaoh in the end. Um, Because a little bit later in Exodus, we get to the Ten Commandments, and the same word is used when talking about all of the other gods, all of the other things we might idolize over Yahweh. In Exodus 20, it's where the Ten Commandments uh, first show up, in verses 4 and 5, it reads, You shall not make for yourself an idol 
or any likeness of what is in heaven or on the earth beneath or on the water under the earth, you shall not worship nor serve them. And this theme from Exodus about which God we will serve, it's, it's all throughout Exodus and it's carried out all through the Bible and it, you know, it's picked up again by Jesus. Luke 16.13 reads, No servant can serve two masters, for he will either hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. The gods of this world are competing for our affections, for our attention, for our service. They want the glory. And they will do whatever it takes to retain us. And so there's that, um, that key verse in Exodus 5.9 that I thought was so interesting, where Pharaoh, after being confronted by Moses, tells his minions, make the work harder for the people so that they keep working and pay no attention to the lies. He does not want the Israelites listening to Yahweh. So let's make their lives a living hell so that they're distracted, so that they don't trust that Yahweh is going to actually bring about something good. And the sad thing is, it worked. At the very end of our passage in Exodus 6, 9, after Moses brings Yahweh's message to the Israelites, it reads, Moses reported this to the Israelites, but they did not listen to him because of their discouragement and harsh labor. Work harder, pay no attention to the lies. There's an ancient warning that is still very freshly relevant for us today. Work harder, pay no attention to the lies, says Pharaoh, because Pharaoh doesn't have your best interests in mind. You're just a tool to him to build him up, to bring him glory and wealth. Yahweh, on the other hand, wants to free you from this oppression. Exodus chapter 3, verses 7 to 9 says, Yahweh said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians, and I will bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. And it's this message that Moses brings to the Israelites, and they initially believe. They feel seen in the midst of their sorrow. Exodus 4.31 says, When they heard that the Lord was concerned about them and had seen their misery, they bowed down and worshipped. But all it took was for Pharaoh to make their lives a little more miserable, and then they lost faith in Yahweh. Because it's great to hear that God cares about us, but when the Pharaohs of our day start making our lives miserable, we might be left asking, God, why have you brought trouble on us? You say you care, but do you really? You say you wanted to free us from this trouble, but you have not rescued your people at all. I think that's one of the hardest things. In the office earlier this week, 
um, which is over there, um, Dean and Garrett and Adam and I, we were talking about the upcoming class that Adam announced a few minutes ago, um, this class about some of the foundational beliefs of Christianity. And one of the reasons that we think that class is important because it's all about building a solid foundation. And building a solid foundation is what will keep the house standing after the storm. Build the foundation strong before the storm hits so you don't lose heart. Because the Bible tells us that storms are always coming. Narrative after narrative tells us about the troubles of this world. Every story in the Bible has them, and so we should expect them. But it doesn't mean that Yahweh isn't working. Because these stories also tell us about Yahweh's character, how he wants to liberate us from the storm, to save us. But liberation for one is judgment on another. And Yahweh is slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and mercy, giving second, third, fourth, fifth chances. And while we patiently wait for salvation, we can place our hope in the, the God who is for our best interests, the God who will come through in the end. The Israelites struggled with this. They were discouraged by Pharaoh. And to attach themselves wholly to Yahweh meant stepping into the unknown. At the end of the Exodus account, as the people are fleeing from Egypt, spoiler alert, um, they, they start to think that it might be better that they were back with their abuser. Uh, Exodus 14, verses 10 to 12 reads, As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up, and there were the Egyptians marching after them, and they were terrified and cried out to Yahweh. They said to Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us out to the desert to die? What have you, what have you done by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone. Let us serve the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. And in that moment, they would rather serve and worship Pharaoh than Yahweh. They perceive that Yahweh's path leads to death. But death is not their end. Yahweh miraculously leads them through the waters, saving them, bringing the water crashing down on the Egyptians, judging their wicked injustice. Exodus 14, 31 to, 30 to 31 says, so Yahweh saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. When Israel saw the great power which the Lord had used against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and they believed in the Lord and his servants and his servant Moses. It's the next time the word belief has popped up since they lost that belief earlier in the book. And it's, it's this belief that they lost when Pharaoh began causing them misery and it's restored once Pharaoh is finally judged. And as much as I, I hope that we will hold on to our faith more firmly in the storms of our lives, that we'll do better than the Israelites did, I, I also hope that we will never be like Pharaoh, um, that we will never harden our hearts, 
and need to be confronted over and over again by God, given tons of chances to repent. And it's good that we have them, but it's better to do it faster, right? I, I can't imagine what it would have been like to try to convince slaveholders that what they were doing was wrong. Um, I, can, I can barely convince a teenager that eating a potato chip off the floor is wrong. <laughs> but you, to go to someone and to try to convince them that the very mechanism that nets them an enormous amount of profit, to convince them that that mechanism is wrong, it's nearly impossible. And so the question I think um, is important for us to have in our minds is this. What if we're wrong? And I don't really have anything specific in mind, but I, I do think we're all wrong about something. Um, I know that I am. <laughs> I, try, I, I try not to be. I try my best, but it's just like realistic introspection. And if we can all walk away from this service right now, like all willing to acknowledge that we're probably wrong about some stuff, I think God can and will use that to speak into our lives. But if we're certain about everything, we leave no room for God to be king. How else will he convict us of sin and injustice? How else will he lead us into uncomfortable places of loving and caring for others? But we get stubborn about a lot of things. We think we're right and we have it all nailed down. Certainty is really nice. We crave it. But being open to rebuke, being open to God speaking, that's what will really give us life. Let us not react like the Pharaoh of the Exodus. Let's be more like the Pharaohs in Genesis who were quick to listen. Let's be willing to say that we're wrong. Amen? Amen.